and welcome back to the Reaction Plus podcast, which is a mouthful, um, but we move. Um, with me, Sam Butler, and as always, I'm uh, I'm joined by Max Goodwin. And, Hello. Uh, yes, there he is. Um, and today, <laughs> well, today we're going to be talking about Man United because uh, last episode we discussed Man City, so it's kind of uh, only fair we cover the red side of the city. Um, and uh, you know, cover their grand um, victory over uh, City at the uh, at the weekend. So basically, we're there's some um, there's some news, isn't there, Max, um, about Man City and their uh, sort of higher ups, and um, they've uh, they've made some interesting appointments, haven't they? Yeah, it's 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 quite an overhaul, actually. Um, on the surface, it probably doesn't sound that interesting, but actually, when you think of the the culture of the club, I think it's quite a big change, actually considering their position about a year ago on it. Mm, the implications uh, could be quite quite big going forward. Massive, yeah. I, th- I think so, yeah. Definitely, I agree with that. Well, good. Um, I mean, would you like to sort of introduce what these significant changes are? Yes. So, for the majority of this section, we're going to be uh, referencing a really good article on The Athletic by Laurie Whitwell, um, that's basically kind of the uh, the genesis of this and sort of how it, it explains really well uh, this entire uh, appointment thing. Um, so essentially Manchester United have appointed a new director of football, John Murto, and a new technical director in former player Darren Fletcher, uh, who, like I say, played for the club for about a decade, uh, won the Premier League, won the Champions League. Uh, a fairly prominent figure around uh, Carrington and Old Trafford at the moment. Um, so essentially, John Moto is going to become the new director of football. He was a sports scientist initially uh, under David Moyes at Everton. He then came with the Scott to Manchester United in 2013 and has been the head of football development uh, since then uh, until this week and has since subsequently been appointed director of football. Uh, the sort of crux of his, his position at the club, he seems to be a fixer. Uh, seems to be quite a popular figure, quite a pragmatic figure, uh, good at getting things done. Uh, the new role will see him basically be in charge of football operations and the strategy of the club going forward. I will basically work with Ollie in, in developing uh, the recruitment sort of side of things and also generating, uh, I'm using air quotes here, a club culture, which is quite an ambiguous term, but I think essentially it's, it's how the club wants to be perceived by the wider footballing world. Yeah, which um, would be Premier League champions in the uh, immediate term, wouldn't it? I suppose, but yeah, um, yeah. Um, so you know, I, I it remains to be seen how well um, this will work. But I think it's a it's a good it's a good appointment. Um, obviously, he knows the um, the culture of Manchester United a, a while. Um, sorry, as he's been there a while. Um, I, I don't the. Uh, <laughs> the progression from sports scientist to technical uh, to um director of football is uh, is an interesting one yeah i agree it's um it's certainly interesting i think i think it suggests a lot about murto as a character though i think it suggests that he's definitely going to be someone uh who is going to be numbers led who's going to be science led rather than well this person's english so we must sign them because that's the manchester united way yeah. Uh, I definitely think he's going to have a bit more of an analytical 
perception of the game, which I think is what has let United down in some of their transfers in recent years. So should we talk a little bit about Darren Fletcher as well and what his role at the club's going to be? Yes, we ought to, haven't we? Um, he's obviously, uh, he's been in and around the coaching staff for some while now. Um, so obviously he knows the ins and outs and, you know, the inner workings of old um, Old Trafford and the Man United sort of mindset. Um, so I guess uh, him kind of um, being pitch side and, you know, He's, he's been he does tactical advising anyway didn't he so it was, it was more the natural progression really yeah the kind of um, the conclusion that I get from what Darren Fletcher's role is going to be is kind of like the conduit between the academy and the first team and I guess in a sense probably taking over that role of football development that Murto had at the club prior to becoming director of football but in a more sort of glossed up fancy term uh, in, in the sense of being called uh, technical director mm-hmm. I think his role is going to be you know here's Mason Greenwood for example uh, here's the things he needs to work on this is why he needs to work on it and using things like video analysis and statistics led analysis this is what he needs to work on this is his path to the thir- first team in three seasons time we want him as our starting centre forward and we want these sort of targets for him and I think working with the academy and developing that, and not just the academy, but obviously with uh, with new signings, if someone like Jaden Sancho came through the door, uh, just because I know he's been heavily linked with them recently, uh, his role would probably be uh, target-led, and this is where we want him to be a couple of years down the line. Um, every time I've seen Fletcher on um, Sky Sports and things like that, I think he's come across really well. A well-spoken guy, uh, courteous, seems like a nice guy. Also seems like a really intelligent guy. Uh, he, you know, he's talked about the expected goals models. He's talked about statistics and analytics in mm-hmm. football, and I think that le- leads to somebody who is clearly got an understanding of the the statistical and mathematical side of the game as well as the obvious playing things. Is he good on the ball? Can he shoot? Can he pass? Kind of thing. Yeah, so, well, I mean, that was kind of evident as a player as well, wasn't it? I mean, it was clear that he had a very sort of football, good footballing brain and he was kind of like the glue that kind of held that team together when he was playing, that he kind of flew under the radar a little bit. Um, yeah. But, you know, he, he obviously saw the tactical side of the game extremely well and uh, obviously that's landed him in, you know, the, the relevant jobs that he's, he's had since, really. Yeah, I completely agree. Um so what do you think the biggest takeaways of this are? I know it's obviously quite a small deal thing if you don't understand what a director of football is, what a technical director is. You know, and I can understand that because it's a very sort of uh, floated around term that nobody really seems to define. What do you think the biggest takeaways, though, of this entire situation are? I think it's really encouraging. Like, I think um, you're, you're sort of dealing with two people that are very driven. They've, uh, they've risen through the ranks. They know the culture of Man United very well. Um, and they'll be, you know, bringing in players that are relevant, I think more relevant than perhaps, say, you know, Van der Beek and Cavani were previous. Like, you know, they, they probably put a little bit more thought into the signings. They probably... Um, I mean, the direction that Man United are going now, they've got a solid platform to build on for next season. I think it makes their jobs quite a lot easier but I think they still need to deliver on these um, sort of clever transfers and, um, yeah, just kind of 
push the the club forward, which, which no doubt no doubt they will really. I think um, so. I think it, it can only be encouraging. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point about the culture and the strategy going forward. Um, I don't think it's necessarily signalling a huge overhaul of the strategy that they've got in place at the moment. If anything, I think it's maybe reinforcing that. Um, I think we can both agree that the, the the kind of model of play they go for is young British players that they were always signing under Sir Alex Ferguson uh, when they were signing the likes of da- uh, Darren Fletcher and Michael Carrick, uh, Wayne Rooney, etc., uh, etc. Et um, and I think as with most director of football models that, you know, you look at RB Leipzig and Ralph Ranić, you look at Chelsea and Marina Granovskaya, it kind of... It offers great transparency to the strategy going forward, and I think it, it shows that Woodward and the Glazers are wanting to invest in Solskjaer as a manager and give him the best platform to succeed. I think this appointment mm. gives him more people on his side and offers him somebody in uh, Murto who is clearly experienced at the club, probably knows Ollie quite well, uh, much the same with Fletcher, who's still going to be doing some part-time coaching work. It, it, it kind of gives more joint up thinking uh, and a great school of thought of this is the kind of player we're going for in the immediate future. And I think it's an investment in Oli as a manager and an investment as the project of the project that he's establishing at the club at the moment. Yeah, um, no, that's a really good point, actually. Um, that kind of, I think the biggest takeaway perhaps then from this um, these appointments uh, would be that Woodward is sort of, um, he's really invested in Ollie is a manager for the long term now and um, he's willing to invest money and obviously time in him and patience as well um, so I I think it's quite encouraging I think he's he's wanting to build something very Klopp-like um, it's mm. uh, sort of you know bringing some young players in um, solid foundations at the back you know um, and just uh, just building that up and you've got obviously you've got the the nice foundation of Bruno Fernandes in midfield um, to sort of dot these young youngsters around them, and you know, it, I think it. I don't think, I don't think they can fail really. Like it, like you say, it's just kind of reinforcing um, the culture a little bit, really, isn't it? And um, yeah, I'd, yeah, I, I think they're also really well positioned to do that. Obviously, United's academy is infamous for the talent that it's you know, produced over the last 20, 30 years. And also with the idea that Ollie is predominantly going for young British players, it can sound a bit uh, close-minded when, when you think that on the surface, but I think now is the best time to be doing that when you have such a, uh, such a prosperous academy when English talent right now is probably, I would say probably we're producing the best talent we produced certainly since the late 90s and the mid-90s. And they should be going for those kinds of players. You know, if if this had been done a year ago, I wouldn't have been surprised if they'd signed Jude Bellingham from Birmingham instead of him going to Dortmund. Uh, You know, looking at the championship at young players, the likes of uh, Adam Armstrong, the likes of Harvey Elliott, if he hadn't gone to Liverpool, um, Rico Henry from Brentford, these young British players who on the surface are obviously exceptional talents but maybe need that bit more of a close uh, close scenario that they would get at United where they can kind of finish off in the academy 
which is obviously very famously one of the best in the country, and then become first-team regulars for United and having uh, Fletcher and Murto kind of saying out this five-year plan maybe of, you know, you're 18 now and when you're 23, we want you playing, you know, 30 games a season uh, in your preferred preferred position as the first choice in that system. Um, I think it's really good investment for the future. Yeah, no, agreed. Um, and then I kind of, that kind of brings us on neatly to the loan system as well then, really. If they're buying all of these sort of um, young British players, they can loan them out to the likes of Sheffield United, for example, and in uh, in Dean Anderson and obviously. And then, you know, you've got McTominay and Greenwood um, already. Um, it, it, it just it, It's just going to work, I think. Um, and they'll, mm. they'll build up, like you say, from like that mid-90s era, um, and then they'll obviously become well the aim is to become title challengers again so yeah I mean you touched on the loan system there I think the one thing that they need to make sure they don't do is a Chelsea where they kind of chuck these players out on loan to five or six different teams and keep buying players in that position uh, you look at example uh, Tammy Abraham who only recently has made uh, kind of headways in the first team uh, really it should have been two or three years ago that he was doing that mm. and even even still they're signing the likes of Giroud and Werner to, replay, to sort of replace that striker spot after the likes of Costa and Morata and Drogba they need to make sure that there is a clear path to the first team for these players and I actually don't think it would be a bad idea to do what they did uh, back in the 2000s with uh, Royal Antwerp and have almost like a feeder club uh, get a, you know maybe a championship or a league one team Salford would be a great example and say to them, we're going to send all our young prospects to you for a season or two, get some first-team football for them, competitive first-team football in a good league, and then they're going to progress to the first team. So they send them maybe to Salford first, and then they send them to like a you know a lower-tier German team or you know a mid-table French team and say, OK, now you're going to go over there and get some first-team action and experience a different culture, and then you're going to come in this season and become the first team left back the first team defensive midfielder the first team striker yeah absolutely I think that remains to be seen but that that would be the plan that you know we'd, we'd opt for really I think that's that's probably the uh, the Man United way and uh, yeah I mean Salford would be an ideal one wouldn't it so mm. um, so I think the next question then that we'll, uh, we'll take a little transition here the next question is going to be, so what should they do? Who should they sign? So we'll be back in a sec, I guess, with who we think they should go for those. Uh, so this is kind of the second section of this United coverage. Uh, we thought we'd take a look at maybe what they should do. Now we've kind of profiled who the people coming into these roles are and what we think their strategy should be going forward. We want to now talk about the players they should maybe sign, the players they should get rid of, and kind of how they're going to build this team that maybe in a few years' time could actually challenge for the lead title. Uh, so Sam, do you want to take the lead on this one? Uh, yes, I can certainly try. Um, so I just um, picked the one. I'd quite like to focus on uh, Dean Henderson, actually, um, which he's, he's quite an interesting character, and obviously he's, uh, he's in line for the England number one spot. Um as well um, so Dean Henderson as we know uh, was on loan to Sheffield United last season and he did rather well um, he had a very good season and probably put his name on the map really um, 
Now, if we evaluate his performance, I guess, I, I t- a term I use quite loosely, um, you can see that uh, he has uh, the joint most clean sheets in the league last season, uh, 11. Um, and the third best save percentage in the Premier League last season at 76%. Wow. Um, which is, 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 is good. It's, you know, very good, um, <laughs> basically. Um, so, yeah. Uh, he, well, I mean, you know how we do sort of like a, a, a expected goals kind of stat. Yeah. Um, we have a, a reverse one for goalkeepers, which is uh, goals sort of to save um, or expected to concede. So Dean Henderson was expected to concede nearly 33 goals last season, according to that model. And um, given that he's only actually conceded 25 goals, um, that excludes penalties and own goals, um, he prevented nearly eight goals with his saves that season, which is phenomenal, to be honest. That and is that's insane. Only- <laughs> and, uh, and that's tallies only exceeded by Newcastle United's Martin Dubravka at 8.7 and uh, Crystal Palace's Vincent Guaita 9.6 so um, what goals prevented is kind of intuitive it's, an ens- it's like an inevitable rebuttal here that goalkeepers who face more shots have an opportunity to prevent more goals right so to allow for a fair comparison between goalkeepers, we can standardise uh, for the number of shots of each keeper's face by looking at the goals prevented rate, um, which is the uh, expected goals on target conceded divided by the actual goals conceded. Now, Dean Henderson's goals prevented rate of 1.31 this season, that season means that he's expected to concede one. 0.31 goals for every goal they actually concede if that makes sense I hope you're following at home Henderson <laughs> um, again performs highly in this metric obviously ranking third in the Premier League that season as well um, so in comparison then to David 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 De Gea oh, Dave uh, Dave De Gea um <laughs> shows that the Spaniard has conceded nearly one more goal than the average goalkeeper would expected to concede this that season. Um, so, I mean, well, um, like expected goals on target um, is a great measure of an individual's performance in comparison to the average goalkeeper. Each goalkeeper in the league will face different types of shots, obviously, over the season. So these shots will be influenced by the defensive style of the team and their opponents they face, and hence, you know may not be the most favourable to an individual's goalkeeper's strengths and weaknesses. However, um, other sort of attributes that Dean Henderson has is his commands in the box. Uh, he's very vocal. He um, His distribution is okay. Um, and I guess uh, another source that I'd like to add at this point would be uh, Rob Green's interview on Monday Night Football uh, last Monday. Um, in which we, the three English goalkeepers were uh, sort of analysed. Um, for example, um, the well, the uh, the candidates for, uh, as we know, are Nick Pope, Jordan Pickford, and Dean Henderson. Now, Nick Pope, 
Um, it said that his footwork and his simplicity was his greatest strength, and obviously that's what um, brings him into contention. Uh, Jordan Pickford solely on um, his kind of uh, distribution um, and as athletic and sort of you know cat-like as he is and shot-stopping wise um, he makes it look a lot more complicated and probably should save a lot more um, by simpling his, simplifying his um, technique and then we have Dean Henderson which is a lovely mix of both as it seems so um now, in terms of Manchester United, Dean Henderson uh, would fit extremely nicely in the counter-attacking style of football that they play. His distribution is um, fairly decent. Um, and obviously, um, that would suit Man United's style of play down to the ground. Um, and he, as described in that little segment, his... Um, Stats, well, basically, uh, say that he's better than David De Gea in every every way. <laughs> so it's um, yeah. Sorry. No, that was really good. I think that was a really good way of highlighting uh, his strengths as a goalkeeper. My sort of takeaways from what you were saying were that, firstly, he, you know, he he saves more goals than you'd expect him to which is obviously as a goalkeeper a really good sign uh, there's that consistency and I think you made a really good point about how his you you from the shots he's uh, conceding or the defence conceding he is saving a vast majority of these and it's obviously I say what was it a 76% save percentage is genuinely obscene like for a goalkeeper that's really high um, yeah, I mean, and also it's saying that, um, you know, obviously it's with no disrespect to Sheffield United, like, you know, you've, you've got to take into account the opponent and the types of goals that are conceded and such. But Sheffield United's um, defence that season was pretty, pretty solid, to be fair. And um, the goals that he did, the shots, sorry, that he did save were, from what I recall, um, pretty good ones. So, you know, I mean... I think it's probably a, a f- fair to sort of assume that he'd be uh, as good in a, in a much larger team. Yeah, I think, especially with a team like Sheffield United, because of how good they were defensively, you naturally expect that the shots that they are giving up are usually quite good opportunities because when you're so tight defensively, you kind of, like, at least my expectation would be a tight defensive team only concedes really good opportunities, which are few and far between. But therefore, you, when you see your goalkeeper saving these really good opportunities, it's a good barometer that he is a good shot stopper one-on-one. Hmm. Um, so do you think then there is a clear path to the first team with Dean Henderson if 100%. not already established? Yeah, pretty much already established almost. I mean, I don't know how long David Hay has got on his uh, contract left. Um, plus, I don't know whether Romeo's gone or not to be honest I haven't really been following too closely but um, I think Dean Henderson it, I mean he's, he's played in a few cup games hasn't he Dean Henderson and um, I think he commands the box extremely well I think uh, he really helps out Maguire and Lindelof um, in that sense like he comes and claims you know extremely well he's decisive um, and confident as well um, so I, I think he 
I think he's off just the natural progression to be in that number one spot and possibly even England in the future. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, I come back to his to the Manchester derby. I thought he was really good on the day. I thought he was really solid. His feet, you know, his distribution was really good, which is actually quite an underrated facet of his game. You were mentioning earlier about how he's kind of this nice blend between Pickford's distribution and uh, Nick Pope's shot-stopping ability. I think there were a few moments in that game where, under pressure, he played some really good balls out. And mm. I think it helps that United have got quite a tall and physical team. So as an outball, it's a little bit easier to hit one of their players. But he still did it, and he was very admirable in his performance. And I actually think he was um, exceptional. And I think it was a really good audition for him to become, in the next 12 to 18 months, the first-team goalkeeper for United and England. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think... Um, my problem with um, with Pickford, um, like I was, I touched on in that, um, was that he just sort of complicates his technique too much. Like he uh, he sort of dives off the wrong foot. Is he's obviously an athletic bloke, right? He, he does he does pull off some cracking saves, but like the sort of ones that you kind of expect to make it look a little bit easier. If you see what I mean, if he's taken maybe a step to the left or right or something before he's dived. Or he's planted the wrong foot, or something, something like that, and it's it. He it just makes it look more spectacular than it is, uh, and a lot of the shots that he doesn't save um, are with the sort of the correct technique. I put in quotation marks, and um, probably he should save really. Yeah, I don't know who it was who made this point, but I thought it was quite interesting that when you see Pickford under pressure, like in the Merseyside derby, for example where he did make some genuinely exceptional saves. He's a really good goalkeeper. It's when he's not under pressure for a, you know, for a sustained period of time and then all of a sudden he starts facing a few shots that he's almost lost his concentration. And I think that's his mm. biggest weakness as a goalkeeper is that he can't concentrate on the game and the, the flow of the game for long enough so that when a counter-attack, for example, comes, he's more prone to an error. Agreed. Yeah, I think that's where Dean Henderson has has an edge. Really, I think he's uh, he's so confident and he's so sort of commanding of his uh, of his back line that I think for such a young bloke as well, I think that um, I don't think concentration would be too much of an issue for him. And uh, obviously, his his techniques, um, you know, simplified like Nick Pope's, and uh, obviously his his distributions are so slightly better than Nick Pope's as well. So he's he's a lovely balance between the three. Um, so yeah, I think I think United would be be quite quite lucky to have him between the sticks next season. Great. Well, is there anything else on uh, on Henderson that you wanted to touch on there? Uh, no, I think that pretty much covers it. So if you want to shoot, my man, um, what have we what have you got? Um, so I think. For me personally, the two weakest positions in United's team at the moment are defensive midfield and right wing. Defensive midfield because really only Fred is at the moment an out-and-out defensive midfielder in that team. I think McTominay's a bit more box-to-box and Matic is just not very good. Um, (laughs) And then right wing because we kind of seen the minute split between Rashford, uh, Greenwood and James and I don't think either of them really work on the right. So what I've done is I've pick two players for each position, one that's probably more realistic and in line with their transfer strategy, and one that's a bit more rogue that I would probably go for personally. 
Um, so starting off with defensive midfield, for the realistic target, I've gone for Declan Rice, I think, because obviously he's young, he's British, and Premier League proven, I think he kind of stands out as a Manchester United target. Um, and I've compared him to Matic. Uh, he completes more defensive actions than Matic, which is things like tackles, interceptions, blocks, aerial duels. Uh, he completes nine compared to eight from the Serb. Uh, he's also become quite an underrated progressor of the ball. Three progressive passes and five progressive carries per 90, which is about half of what Matic performs in both those metrics. However, he's 11 years younger than the Serb, and also you'd expect coming into a more of an expansive team in the form of United that this would increase. Uh, and I think he's shown for England especially that he has the ability to be quite a good passer of the ball and quite a good mover through the lines uh, in that position. Obviously, the big issue is his price tag. Chelsea were kind of priced out of him last season. I think they wanted about £50 million. That's only going to have gone up because he's had an exceptional season this year and he'd be going to what will be perceived right now as a top-four rival. So instead, I've said that they maybe could go for Eve Basuma from Brighton. Uh, he completes around 10 defensive uh, duels per 90, which again is more than Rice and more than Matic, and also completes around one and a half dribbles per 90, which is twice as much as Nemanja Matic. Uh, similar progression stats to Rice again coming into a bigger team you probably expect him to be able to do a bit more because they're likely to see more of the ball um, and also a better press than the Matic with similar pressing numbers to Fred which obviously uh, offers more energy in the midfield which I think when they have Matic or McTominay in the midfield alongside Fred can sometimes slow the play down a bit too much when if they're really looking to play the counter-attack they need somebody with a bit more energy in that midfield and I think he would just be a lot cheaper than Bright, uh, than Declan Rice uh, especially if Brighton were to be relegated or if financially they needed to uh, make a cut like that I'd also look at maybe Zambo and Giza from Fulham uh, for similar reasons very similar numbers and from a pressing point of view an energy point of view he's very similar in his profile what do you think of them? Yeah, no, they're excellent points. Um, I think the, the point about the energy in midfield is quite a good one. Um, I think that, um, like you say, um, Fred and McTonomy can get a little bit bogged down occasionally. I think McTonomy is getting better at that, though. Um, I think um, Fred, on the other hand, feels a little bit a little bit erratic, but, um, and he's sort of lacking quality to pass it forward, um, usually. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that would be a good... A good little swap, um, and um, perhaps you know. Well, if if we are setting Manchester United up to be purely a counter-attacking team, then we did definitely need some uh, some energy in there. But um, yeah, I, yeah, no, I do, I do agree with that. Do all of those points. Thank you. Um, so the two I personally would probably go for Basuma just because he's probably going to be a little bit cheaper. And Declan Rice is a good player, but he's not... I don't think he's as good as Basuma is right now. He'll probably become better than that, but I think if you want someone right now who's going to come in and offer impact in there, then I think Basuma would be uh, the best choice. Do you think Basuma carries the ball better than Declan Rice? Uh, I think he carries it with his feet better, but I don't think he's as strong a passer. Um, I think it's like, right. it's basically a choice between do you want somebody who is less mobile but really good on the ball or somebody who's more mobile but can be a bit more erratic with his passing. Um, mm. And maybe then you want to go for Rice because Fred as a passer isn't necessarily as good. 
Um, so maybe having someone who has the ability to break the lines a little bit better, like Rice, is he's maybe the better option, I don't know. But for me personally, I would look at Basuma simply from a price tag point of view and also because I think he offers a little bit more, he's got a bit more of a well-rounded skill set uh, than Rice. Um, is there anything you want to add to that before I just quickly touch on the right wing? Uh, no, that's absolutely fine. Please continue to touch on the white wing. The right wing. I will continue to touch on the right wing then. Um, so in terms of a realistic signing, I feel like this is the most obvious one is Jaden Sancho. He's been linked with them pretty much since he came through at Dortmund. I think if they're going to get him, they're going to need to get him this summer because I think this is when his value is at the lowest, obviously, with the economic crisis with COVID and also because Dortmund could not qualify for the Champions League next season, which is a genuinely very real possibility. They're going to need to sell either Haaland or Sancho. Uh, he's currently having an air quotes down season, which has still been an exceptional campaign um, by, you know, by his lofty standards. Uh, he's predominantly played on the right, which I think is predominantly where Greenwood and James have played for United. So they're the players that I'm kind of comparing him with in this scenario. Uh, he gets about 0.75 goals and assists per 90. Greenwood gets about 0.15. James gets about 0.45. So as you can see, he offers a vast amount more productivity than the two of them. And even if you go deeper, it's even more thorough. Takes around the same amount of shots as both players, around 2.5 per 90. However, this has come from more minutes. So I would say his shots are a bit more sustained than Greenwood and especially James, who has only played around 600 minutes this season. Um, but it's really in chance creation that he blows them out of the water. Uh, Greenwood and James create about 0.7 chances per game, which isn't great for a right-sided player. Uh, Sancho creates three chances per game. He creates nearly or over four times as many chances as these guys per oh 90, is that, which is insane. That's not, that's not combined, is it, the James and Greenwood? No, the James and Greenwood one is 0.7 each per 90. Sancho right. creates three on his own per 90, which is stupid. Oh my God. Um, he also completes around three times as many progressive passes than the other two. Uh, they complete around two per 90 each. He completes six. Uh, he's also three years younger than Dan James and only a year older than Greenwood, who I personally see more as a centre forward uh, in the future, either playing in a uh, two up top or on his own. And it's probably going to have his price slashed, as I suggested earlier, because of a perceived down campaign, which has still uh, seen him get 20 goal contributions in 27 games. So 20 goals and assists in 27 games in all competitions. And I mean, why wouldn't you go for him? He's probably going to cost somewhere between 50 and 80 million, I think, which is obviously a lot of money and is kind of not really what they're going for at the moment. They seem to be wanting to spend a little bit less. So instead, so instead, I've gone for Rafinha as a more price effective option. He is the guy from Leeds who everyone's been raving about recently. Very nice. Uh, So I'm going to compare him to Sancho. He creates about two and a half chances per 90, which is a little bit less than Sancho. However, he takes three shots per 90, which is a little bit more than Sancho. So he's a bit more of a goal threat than Sancho, but a little bit less of a creator and also progresses the ball about the same amount as Sancho. However, there is a caveat to this that he is playing in possibly the most erratic football team ever to have existed in the form of Bielsa's Leeds United. I would expect if he came to United, he'd probably drop off a little bit. 
Um, mm. He'd probably create a little bit less chances. He'd probably take a few less shots simply just as a um, as a tax for the fact that he's played under Marcelo Bielsa in a very, very attacking team that <laughs> almost leads quite, the league. It's quite a unique team, isn't it? So I guess yeah. uh, he will be taking a fair amount of shots and, you know... But yeah, it's, it's he's still a, a cracking player, and he's he obviously um, looks to play it forward whenever he can. He picks out passes well. He's it's just a great player, really good. Yeah, and whilst you can say that coming out of Leeds United, you can take that tax off for playing under Bielsa. I think what you learned under playing under Bielsa is even more important. He's going to be a good presser because he's played in a high-intensity side. He's good at finding chances from nothing because that's exactly what Bielsa's team is about, creating every chance that you can possibly get. Like you say, he's going to pass it forward more times than not. And I think on the counter-attack, I genuinely think that's quite a scary prospect, especially coming in on that left foot. You know, with Rashford on the other side as more of a goal scorer, with Bruno Fernandes playing centrally, it takes a bit of the load off him. And Cavani, who I think you'd probably get one more year out of because he's not necessarily a striker who relies heavily on his athleticism. I think that's quite a. That is a front four, either Sancho or Rafinha, with then Bruno, Cavani, and Rashford up front. Possibly the best front four in the Premier League at the moment. Mm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, certainly at the moment, anyway. Um, yeah, but then then you got to wonder who who City's going to bring in in the summer as well. So it could be quite an interesting battle. I think so. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be down to what United want. Do they want to kind of stick to their guns with the young English thing, but pay a little bit more, or do they want to be a bit more clever and go for somebody who, you know, is probably going to cost about half as much, but isn't really in that model. He's young, but he's not English. And that's obviously that continuity in the squad is something they're trying to create. So it's it's whether they want to go for one or the other. And I think it's going to be interesting to see which one they go for. Absolutely. Uh, so is there anything else you want to add? Any more positions you maybe wanted to look at? Or are you, are you happy with what you've uh, prescribed for Manchester United? I'm, very, I'm quite happy with what I prescribed. Um, I think, well, I mean... You've looked at transfers. I've looked at uh, quite an already existing player, um, probably one that will become more established as the the seasons wear on. Um, so, yeah, um, I do have a, a soft spot for a goalkeeper. Obviously, <laughs> being an ex one myself, it's uh, yeah. Um, so I I think we've we've covered um, the United side of Manchester quite well there. Yeah, I quite I think this was uh, for me personally. I don't know about you, but I think this was probably one of our best podcasts we've done so far I think it's the best research we've done I think it's the best presenting we've done and I think it just probably came together quite well I think we did it at a quite fortunate time obviously with the kind of overhaul behind the scenes but I think it's definitely one of the best ones we've done so far yeah agreed um obviously presenting comes with um practice and everything so but yeah no I I, I, uh, I think that went well uh, you might have to uh, do a fair amount of editing in my parts, but not at all. I thought you actually came across really coherently. I thought you you, you sound like you knew <laughs> what you're you talking sure? about. Yeah, I think you did great, mate. I think you did great. Wow. Okay. Oh, thank you. That's that's sweet. Um, so we've been going for about forty minutes. So do you want to wrap this thing up? I think we should put a little pretty bow yeah. on it. Let's let's put a pretty bow on it, shall we? Sweet. Um, 
Well, I think that pretty much wraps up things for this week, talking about Manchester United, the changes behind the scenes and where we would take the club forward if we were at the helm. Um, let us know what you think in either the comments below of the YouTube version or on social media, what you think of the appointments of, um, of what are their names? <laughs> John Murto and Darren Fletcher as Director of Football and Technical Director, respectively. And what do you think of the current situation at Manchester United? Obviously, it's currently... Uh, I think project but do you think that they're a project going in the right direction or do you think they need even more changes obviously let us know um, I think we could definitely do a few more of these style rebuild kind of ones in the future I'd love to talk maybe about Liverpool if you feel like that Sam at some point yeah that sounds good yeah so maybe next week we'll talk a little bit about Liverpool and their current struggles shall we say um, but that does wrap up this episode. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to drop a like on the YouTube version and drop a rating on the podcast version on whatever podcast provider you are listening to this on. Um, you can also maybe suggest topics for future episodes in, the, in, those, in those formats. We'd love to know what you guys think if you are listening to this. Uh, Sam, would you like to plug your external projects in your social medias? I can indeed. Um, so uh, there's another podcast called the No Run Podcast, which we talk about um, cricket. Um, basically, we have um, England versus India. Uh, we're turning to the White Ball series, which is the ODIs and the T20s out there. Um, probably England's strongest squad uh, going into it. Uh, so those will be interesting. There'll be a series of smaller um, in length podcasts uh, with myself um, and other members of Salford. Uh, cricket club talking about that um, otherwise you can follow me on Twitter if you so wish at Samware99 that's the same handle for Instagram as well um, other than that you know pretty boring life isn't it? Go on Max <laughs> um, Well we are a little bit closer to freedom aren't we uh, schools went back this week another month until the hairdressers open and I can get whatever this mess is on my head chopped off um, so yeah, hopefully we'll be uh, a little bit closer to freedom next week. Uh, if you want to follow me on social media, you can uh, Twitter and Instagram, Max DJ, good one for both. Uh, it's usually the best place to find out when new videos and podcasts are going live and where you can suggest topics for future episodes. And with all that being said, thank you very much for listening to this podcast. Hope you all have a lovely week. I'll catch you next time. Bye. Take very good care. Goodbye. Goodbye.